Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. So today is going to be kind of a mixture of a headlines episode and just a regular episode because it started out as just a headlines episode, but then I kind of got carried away and I wrote eight pages on one What the hell? One I did not topic. know this. Don't yell. I did not know this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we are talking about one story and one story only today. So this is the headlines. Yeah, but we're only talking about one story, and it's not going to have a, a happy ending. So that's why I'm like, it's kind of a mix. So this isn't know. headlines. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It just it, It's an episode. Okay, you're welcome. Let's go, babe. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about Lindsay Clancy. And we've been following this case little by little. We don't have an episode dedicated solely to this story until now, but we've talked about it in every headlines episode so far. So Lindsay Clancy, if you don't already know, is the mom charged with murdering her three kids on January 24th. The first time we reported on this story, the little baby, Callan, was clinging to life, but he unfortunately passed away. This week, Lindsay had her arraignment, which is when the prosecuting attorney goes before the judge to formally declare the charges against the defendant. And this is usually where the defendant enters their plea as well. And in this case, Lindsay Clancy is pleading not guilty. And I believe her attorney is going to shoot for an insanity defense because of all the medications that she was prescribed for her postpartum depression. So Lindsay appeared in court via Zoom from a hospital bed, and she was wearing a neck brace and a blue face mask. And right off the bat, Assistant District Attorney Jennifer Sprague claimed that Lindsay Clancy was of sound mind mind and that she knew exactly what she was doing when she, quote, created the situation, unquote, to kill her three children. She said, quote, using an erasable whiteboard because she was still temporarily intubated, one of the first questions that Lindsay Clancy asked was, do I need an attorney? She knew that she had murdered her children and she had the clarity, focus, and mental acumen to focus on protecting her own rights and interests, end quote. So Jennifer Sprague then elaborated on some of the details from that horrible day, and I want to point out why context is important here. So Jennifer Sprague said, one of the first rather than the first. So she says it in that way to make you think, oh, the very first thing when she woke up was that she's worried about needing an attorney. But I think that's a clever wordplay because we don't know that. How do we know her first question wasn't, are the kids okay? How do we know for sure that she woke up knowing exactly what happened and wasn't told what happened before she asked that question about needing a lawyer? We don't know at this point. Mm -hmm. Speculation. Yes. But prosecuting attorneys have a job where they have to prove guilt, and they are going to do that by relaying the facts with or without much context in a way that evokes emotion or assumption leading you to believe someone is guilty. So I just want to keep... I want you to keep that in mind and pay close attention to the words that are used because words are important. I'm like a stickler on words. You know that. Mm -hmm. You're good with them. Thank you. So on January 1st, Lindsay checked herself into the McLean Hospital for Mental Health Treatment. She stayed until January 5th and ever since has been prescribed a ridiculous amount of medications, including Prozac, Ambien, Zoloft, Trazodone, Seroquel, Amitriptyline, Remeron, Valium, Klonopin, Ativan, and Lamictal. 
All of these medications were prescribed after her last child, Callan, was born, but her attorney pointed out that these were prescribed between October and January. She may not have been on all of these at once, but I do know she was on at least three or four of these at the time of the murders. We don't know which ones, and we don't know how long she was off of medication or if she even was before starting another. We don't know how they overlapped. It's way overkill, though. For sure. Regardless. Thank you. And just in case you don't know, because uh, we're, we're live on TikTok right now. This is my husband, and we have not talked about this case. So some of you who follow me on, on TikTok already have seen some of my videos, and you kind of know how I feel about it. Um, we've talked about it a little bit, but we have not talked about it. And so when we get on a podcast together, I tell him stories and he is like, he's going to give a genuine reaction cause he's never heard about I'm it. Clueless to all of this stuff and really not a true crime fan, but Kelly's made me appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad. In a so, sick way. Like yeah. all you sick people like this. Yeah. But you're, you're slowly becoming one of us. So anyway, we don't know how long she was off of medication or if she even was before starting another. She did, however, detail in her journal that she had difficulties with each medication and that when she had difficulties with the medication, her doctor would either have her stop it cold turkey or wean off of it and start a new one. So we don't know, again, which ones were stopped, which ones were overlapped. Now, these are powerful mind-altering drugs with really scary side effects, including but not limited to. And I just kind of, I did my research on these medications and I kind of just listed them and they all have similar side effects. And so I'm just going to list all of them all together. But um, the side effects are limited, but, or I'm sorry, including but not limited to headaches, drowsiness, dizziness, feeling like you've been drugged, trouble sleeping, weakness or tiredness, nightmares, muscle pain, uncontrollable shaking, changes to your appetite, confusion, unsteadiness, difficulty thinking, mental slash mood changes like hallucinations, depression, increased anxiety, aggression, hostility, irritability, agitation, impulsivity, mania, and thoughts of suicide. And not to mention when you're mixing some of these together or they aren't completely out of your system before you start a new one, it can have some really dangerous consequences. Which most of those drugs have very long half-lives. Mm-hmm. Well, at least long, when I say very long, at least long enough that it's 24 or 48 hours, 12 hours. So mm-hmm. the chances are they're all getting mixed. Mm-hmm. So, and she was also seeing different doctors. And so I know some of you might come on and argue that, um, that you know, a doctor would know that and they wouldn't prescribe a medication overlapping with another. Well, she was seeing t- different doctors for this. She was seeing a psychiatrist. She was seeing her normal doctor. So we don't know like what the communication was between them. There's a lot we don't know. At the end of the day, that's basically the gist of this entire episode and story is that there's a lot we still don't know. So um, regardless, these medications can have dangerous consequences. So I made a post about this on Instagram, and in some of the comments, women were commenting that they had a very hard time with just one or two of these drugs, and that the effects they experienced were so scary. So imagine being sick on top of being prescribed these medications that aren't working, and maybe even creating more side effects. Like It's just a recipe for disaster. So that being said, 
The assistant prosecuting attorney said that in the days before the incident, she was behaving normally and that she kept a note in her phone where she tracked her mood and recorded having, quote, slight postpartum anxiety. They also touched on an excerpt from um, her journal on October 25th, where she admitted um, that I sort... Well, okay, so the prosecuting attorney basically summarized it to for her to say, I, I resent my older children without like the full context of exactly what the, the journal entry said, which I feel like is misleading. But in the um, journal entry... She says, quote, I think I sort of resent my other children because they prevent me from treating Cal like my first baby. And I know that's not fair to them. I know it rubs off on them. So we had a pretty rough evening. I want to feel love and connection with all of my kids, end quote. And I'm going to touch on this later. So stay with me. But just to continue the timeline, on the day of the murders, Patrick Clancy told police it had been one of her best days, that she was smiling and happy, and there was no indication that she was going to harm the kids. No one described her as acting like a zombie in the days leading up to the murders or on the day of the murders. So that is pointed out by the prosecuting attorney. At 4.02 p.m., Lindsay used her phone to search for kids' Miralax because she had taken, I think it was Cora, to the doctors that day, to the pediatrician. They had an appointment. So she was looking up kids' Miralax. Then at 4.13 p.m., she searched for Takeout 3V, which is a local restaurant, and she used Google Maps to figure out how long it would take to get from their home to the restaurant, just directions. The prosecution alleges that this shows she planned the murders because she wanted to know how much time she'd have to kill her kids and then herself. So they're alleging that this proves she was planning. That's a huge assumption. Thank you. It's a huge assumption. I'm sorry, but how many times have we been to Q39 and we still Google the directions? Yeah, it's a, that's ridiculous to say that that's the, like to create this plot line based on the fact that she Googled the time to get to a place. Yes. And not only that, but if you call a place and they say, yeah, your dinner is going to be ready at X time. Okay. So maybe I'll Google the directions to see how long it's going to take me to actually get there. Cause I, I don't know for sure. All the time. Yes. And then I want to make sure I get there on time. Like, yeah. I don't think that's proving that she planned this. I don't think that by itself proves she planned this. So anyway, she uses Google maps to figure out how long it'll take to get there at 453, 40 minutes later, she texted Patrick quote, any chance you want to do takeout from three V I didn't cook anything. It's been a long day. End quote. So this conflicts with the prosecuting attorney saying, you know, she was smiling and happy and there was no indication that she was going to harm the kids. Like, I don't think this is indicating she's going to harm the kids, but saying it's been a long day is like, yeah, she's it's tired. It's a normal it was, occurrence for a mom that who's too. been at home all day with three or four kids. That, that too. So at 5.10 p.m., she called the restaurant to order the food and then she texted Patrick, Pedialax liquid stool softener because he planned on stopping at a CVS before going to the restaurant. Again, maybe she Googled the, the directions to see if he'd have time to go to CVS before or after. Regardless, that doesn't... It doesn't prove she planned anything. It doesn't mean anything. I agree. 17 minutes later at 5.32 p.m., Patrick walks into the CVS about two miles away. He calls Lindsay and she doesn't answer, but she calls him back a minute later to confirm the medication. Patrick told police that the call seemed normal, but it, that it sounded like she was in the middle of something. So the prosecuting attorney 
announces this essentially. And of course the prosecution wants you to believe that she was in the middle of something. She was probably in the middle of strangling her kids at that very moment. Again, assumption. Mm -hmm. At 5.37 p.m., Patrick leaves the CVS. At 5.54 p.m., he arrives at at 3V, picks up the order within a minute, and leaves. So at 6.09 p.m., Patrick gets home, and when he goes into the house, the first thing he notices is that it's very quiet. He goes upstairs and finds blood in the master bedroom, and he realizes that Lindsay has jumped out of their second-story window and landed in the backyard. Holy shit. At 6.11, Patrick calls 911 to report that Lindsay attempted suicide, and Lindsay can be heard saying, quote, I tried to kill myself and jump out, jumped out the window, end quote. She had cuts on her neck and her wrists, and then he asked her where the kids are, and she tells, them they're, tells him they're in the basement. So he goes into the basement, and he finds Cora, Dawson, and Callan. All of them are on the floor with exercise bands around their neck. Oh. I just got goosebumps. I know. It's awful. That is freaking, like, heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It, like, I have been, this has been on my mind for days, (laughs) like, since since I heard about it, I think. And it's just, it keeps replaying in my head. I cannot shake it from my mind. So at 7.28 p.m., both Cora and Dawson were pronounced dead at the hospital. They were able to regain a pulse from Callan, but at the time, he had no brain activity, and he ended up passing a few days later. Lindsay was also taken to the hospital and underwent emergency surgery. She ended up breaking multiple ribs, bones in her neck, and she suffered from a, I can't tell if they said C5 or T5, and C6 or T6, spinal cord transection. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what these things mean. Um, But she is not expected to regain meaningful function below her belly button. So she is paralyzed. The prosecuting attorney said that at any point during this attack on her children, Lindsay could have changed her mind because it takes at least one minute to render someone unconscious from strangulation and about three to four minutes to actually take their life. But we don't know if she held the exercise band in place for that entire time or if she just tied it so tight she could have left it there like... There's still so much we don't know, and I'm not trying to make light of what she did. I'm just saying there's a lot we don't know, and I think it's important. Thank you for clarifying. It's T5 and T6. Sorry. I thought I heard them say C on the mm-hmm. on the um, arraignment video, but it, the, the guy was kind of hard to understand. The assistant prosecuting attorney made no mention of the fact that Lindsay's husband, Patrick, told the court that he had gone to her doctor a week prior and told them that Lindsay was acting like a zombie and was needing help. He, he was saying that something needed to change. Now, in regards to the reference to her journal about her resentment toward her older two, because they stopped her from loving her baby like he was her first, this part really breaks my heart because an honest admission is being used against her to make it look like she planned this and did this on purpose. But if she only resented her older two kids then why would she kill all three and then herself? And I want to add a personal anecdote that I'm hesitant to share because people can be so judgmental. And I've already seen it on TikTok where there are some really ruthless women commenting horrible things on some of my videos in this case because the social media is very, very divided on this issue. I mean, like almost 50-50, I'd say. So many people are 
angry and I understand why. I get it. I hear you that you're angry and I think it's valid to be angry. But some people are like, she deserves to rot in prison for what she did. She's a horrible person, like just ruthless attacking her. I think and the then, internet when it comes to most things are stupid. People are stupid. But when it comes to parenting, mm, oh my God, it drives level. me insane. Parenting is like something that people shouldn't... Can I side note real quick? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, I was watching an Instagram reel because I don't do TikTok, same thing though. And there was this kid that he was probably like five and he took a marker and he wrote all over this bathroom, wrote on the walls, wrote on the floor, permanent marker, Mm -hmm. wrote all over this bathroom, huge mess, drew a smiley face on the toilet seat coming up. I think I saw that. And this mom goes, oh my God. And she's spinning looking at it and he goes... He knows he's in trouble. Like, he can kind of sense it, but he goes, the toilet is happy. And she goes, <laughs> and it's funny, right? I Like, anybody would laugh at it. And the mom says, no, nobody's happy right now. And he obviously gets really disappointed. Yeah. There were people commenting on it. Like, I went to the comments like an idiot. I, and I don't normally do that, but I went to the comments, and there were flooded in the comments were people saying, you should really not break his heart. He was being creative. Uh, I could see the wind sink out of his sails whenever you said that horrible parenting, nice try and all this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. We should just let the kid fuck up the whole bathroom with a marker and move on. Yeah, because we don't want to hurt their spirit. Yeah, because we're <laughs> like, in... Like, let's in, not guide our children to know what's appropriate and what's not. 2023, and everyone's a cupcake, and we need to not discipline. I don't care what people have to say about that. That's ridiculous. No, because we're, we're sparing feelings. For a... a like you, I'm, for it's doing not something like, horribly wrong. In, well, in this situation, in my situation that I'm talking about, it's not like the mom beat the kid. She just said, no, we're not happy right now and yeah. gets ridiculed. And then, so I don't know how I feel about this yet, but mm-hmm. just in general, t- social media and parenting, it's like, people, shut up. Well, and parenting is just, it's kind of like religion and politics and money. Like there's just some things you really probably shouldn't talk about if you're going to be like really judgmental about it or close minded. Like sex and rock and roll. You don't need to talk about that in front of, well, I guess I didn't really, huh. it doesn't fit, huh? <laughs> so anyway, um, back to what I was saying. So um, I just wanted to kind of give like a personal anecdote here. Um, I have two older kids who are eight and nine years old. And I, we just had our son, August, a year ago. And within the first couple of weeks of bringing him home, my hormones were wilding out. And I vividly remember sitting on our stairs with my head in my hands thinking, maybe I made a mistake. And I feel horrible for even admitting that. But in, the, in that moment, I was just like, oh, my God, I think I fucked up. And I was feeling so confused and sad because I didn't feel the same love towards our baby as I had for our older two. I was kind of in my head. I was like, I just don't know this baby very well. And which is so weird to say, cause he came from me. Like, I feel like I should have this spark of connection. Like, why isn't it there? What's happening? Right. And I know I'm not alone there. I know a lot of moms have experienced a very similar feeling. Okay. And you know, I, I had two older kids who were so used to having me as their mom for nearly a decade all to themselves, but I share custody of them with their dad. So my time with them is actually limited. And I felt so much unrelenting, heavy guilt about the fact that now I have this baby who not only is going to distract me from my two oldest, but is also going to get way more time with me than they do. And I felt like the world's 
absolute worst mother that I was having these feelings of resentment or guilt, like I had made a mistake. And I never told a soul besides my husband because I was so afraid of what people would think of me. And now here I am telling whoever listens to this show or whoever is watching on TikTok, but I think it's important to speak out because now I am better. And, you know, I also want to point out that there were like other moments where I felt a little bit scared because I was so anxious. Like I do take, um, Zoloft. And so, you know, I was still taking that regular regularly, but I was still feeling such extreme anxiety. And there was one day where I remember driving home with August and he was crying. And there's something about having a baby in the backseat, just crying, screaming, crying. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's like torture. It almost feels like, Man, this should be how they like treat, you know, um, like prisoners when they're trying to get information out of them. Like this would drive me to just do whatever I could. Like I've just become so desperate in that moment. And I got home and I is set August, and he was in his car seat. But I set him in the laundry room, which is like a big room. But I set him in the laundry room and I shut the door and I went into the kitchen and I just screamed. And like, I'll never forget that moment because I felt horrible afterwards. And I, I didn't even tell you. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I've heard this. I didn't even tell you because I was afraid in that moment that you might not trust me to be alone with August. This is something that moms struggle with. You know, you're, you've just had a baby. You have this horrible hormonal shift happening. Some people don't have an easy birth. They might experience a tear or an emergency C-section or, God forbid, like almost lose their own life from blood loss. Like birth is traumatic in itself. It's a huge life-changing event. And then, you know, you bring this baby home. You're not sleeping. You feel like your world has just been rocked. Nothing is normal. Nothing is as it was before. And you have to try to adjust to that. And like maybe you have help, but maybe you don't. My mom has passed away. So I didn't have my mom around and I'm really bad at asking for help because I'm just like a independent person. And so I'm not good at asking for help, but there were moments where I texted someone who was like a mom to me. And I said, you have to come over and help me because I'm struggling. But you know, the sad thing here is that moms don't speak out on this and they, they are hesitant to share this because of moms on social media who will make them feel badly about it and who will make them feel like they're not equipped to be a mother or that, you know, people should be worrying for their children. And then God forbid it gets to a point like this, you know, where this woman, Lindsay Clancy was struggling. She was trying to get help. She had checked herself into a psychiatric facility. She was taking the medications as prescribed. She wanted help. Patrick, her husband wanted her to have help, but nothing was working. So, so like, What's the difference between between Lindsay Clancy and I? Like, she was pushed a little further. Her mental illness was worse than what I was experienced. But, like, who's to say I couldn't have suffered from the same thing? It could have happened to any mother. So when Lindsay confided to her diary that she was having feelings of resentment towards her kids, and now that's being used against her as proof of motive, it makes me sad for any mom who has had those same or similar feelings but never experienced psychosis. 
So Lindsay's attorney said that he submitted to the court nearly 50 letters from doctors, friends, and family members, people who knew her better than any of us who were talking about this case, either on here or on social media. These are the people who know her. Shouldn't they have some weight in their opinions? They're all affirming Lindsay as a, an incredible mother, wife, and nurse. And her attorney also said that he has received messages from around the world from medical professionals and other mothers sharing their struggles with postpartum mental illness. And if these people believe in the good in Lindsay, why shouldn't we? I understand she did something horrible, okay? I'm not saying she didn't. She did. She did something absolutely horrific. And my heart breaks for those kids and breaks for her husband, but I just don't believe in my gut that she did this on purpose with a clear mind. I think she was over-medicated and very ill. And I believe she tried to get help and her husband was trying to help her as well. Explain real quick to me psychosis I'm in this situation. I'm glad you said that because I actually Googled it. No, you didn't. Well, now this okay. seems so scripted. It's like, oh, awesome. No. Ask me what psychosis is right here. No, and uh, okay, let me just be clear. Like, I'm obviously not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I have a basic Google search, okay? <laughs> like, I'm not trying to claim that I know everything about psychosis because I have a Google PhD. No, but according to the NHS website, postnatal psychosis um, is a severe form of postnatal depression, um, and it's it's... I, I don't want to say common, but one in every thousand women who give birth. And it's mostly common, um, or it most commonly occurs during the first few weeks after a having a baby, but it can occur at any point within that first year. Um, it's more likely to affect women who already have a mental health condition. Um, and the symptoms, as well as symptoms of psychosis, symptoms of postnatal psychosis can also include changes in mood, like high mood and mania, for example, feeling elated, talking and thinking too much or too quickly, seeming happy, seeming normal, like things are fine. Or low mood, for example, feeling sad, a lack of energy, loss of appetite, and trouble sleeping. Now, people confuse the term psychosis or psychotic with psychopath. Psychopath is someone who has a social like disorder. Um, it's like they, they lack empathy. They're manipulative. They're like awful people, but someone who's going through psychosis, there are actually two main symptoms of psychosis and they're hallucinations and delusions. So hallucinations is where a person hears, sees, and in some cases feels, smells, or tastes, tastes things that do not exist outside their mind, but can feel very real to the person affected by them. And a common hallucination is hearing voices. She told her husband after this that she heard a voice tell her this was her last chance and to kill the kids. So she, she did come forward and say that she heard that. Um, delusions is another symptom of psychosis where a person has a strong belief that are not shared by others or a common delusion is someone believing there's a conspiracy to harm them. So maybe, you know, in her psychosis, she thought something was going to happen to her kids if she didn't do this first. Like we've seen this in Andrea Yates. We've seen it in another case I'm going to talk about in a second. It's scary. So scary. Um, so 
I've also seen a lot of people on social media arguing that she as a nurse should have known the side effects of these medications and that she should have known better. But being educated as a nurse and being mentally ill are two very different things, first of all. And who is she to trust her own education as a nurse over the education of a doctor prescribing her these meds? We are expected to blindly trust doctors because they know better. They go to school and they practice for years. They take this Hippocratic oath to do no harm. So who are we to question that or second guess that? I got to say something. Yeah. Doctors... And I'm not, I, I'm not like a hardcore expert, but I've talked to many doctors who have told me this. They don't even go through as much as more than one nutrition class throughout all of their schooling, and some of them even that. Like some of them, they're in a class where they touch on nutrition. Mm-hmm. I bring that up because everybody's on this stick about this and everything else, it seems like from what you've said, mm-hmm. to be like, doctors know best and all this stuff, You like... I'm sorry, but doctors don't know shit about nutrition, most of them. Mm -hmm. Most of them couldn't tell you about macros, macronutrients, and what you should be eating and what you shouldn't. So, like, I don't know. I just I wanted to add that just because I feel like it's relevant in that I don't care if you're saying nurses, a nurse should know or a doctor should know. Like, Well, and people on the same side are saying, you know, she should have asked for help. There were resources. She should have gone to her doctors. Well, she did. So now what? Like, now what's the argument? Because she went to the doctors, they prescribed her all these medications, and it made the problem so much worse. And so, like, why are we going to just blame her for her psychosis? Like, I'm not saying that the doctors caused her psychosis, but obviously there was a disconnect there. But she asked for help. She tried to get help. And when you are so sick and so desperate to be better, you ask for help. You concede yourself to the knowledge of a doctor in hopes that they fix your problems. But then this happens and we're expected to just solely place the blame on the patient. Like there's a disconnect there because people are like, oh, she should have done this. She should have gotten resources or whatever. Oh, well, but she should have known better because she was a nurse. Like, okay, well, pick a lane because Mm -hmm. there's a disconnect. So one maternal child health nurse who worked with Lindsay said the healthcare model has failed families like the Clancy's and was shocked at how many medications the mother had been prescribed. She said, quote, we do very little to concretely help a mother who is suffering with postpartum depression. And when it comes to postpartum psychosis, we fail completely. Lindsay and her loving husband, Pat, were desperately seeking help and were betrayed by an inadequate medical system that is not devoted enough resources nor time learning how to help our new mothers, end quote. So another personal anecdote here that I know a lot of moms will relate to, the fact that you can have these weekly checkups, week after week, like you go month to month and you go every two weeks and you go week to week until the baby is born. And then you have the baby and they're like, okay, we'll see you in six weeks or maybe not. If you don't show up, we won't even call you. Like they don't even check up. I agree with that. That's absurd. So yeah, the system is so weird and messed up. So in response to the prosecuting attorney's statements, Kevin Reddington, who was Lindsay's defense attorney, described the suffering of her family and her friends and of Lindsay's crippling postpartum mental illness. He also said Lindsay Clancy's case is a prime example of a country that routinely fails women seeking treatment for postpartum depression, anxiety, or psychosis. He said Lindsay Clancy was under the care of medical professionals who prescribed her a cocktail of medications that harmed her mental well-being. 
He described a woman unable to feel genuine emotion due to the drugs. And I completely, and I don't know how I feel about this whole thing. I'm trying to decide, mm-hmm. but I com- like as far as like what she should get or whatever, but that I completely agree. And I think the system fails everybody. Yeah. Because I think the goal is to get people on drugs and big pharma is big fucked up. Mm-hmm. He said, quote, our society fails miserably in treating women with postpartum depression or even postpartum psychosis. It's medicate, 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 take the pills and see if that works. If it doesn't increase the dose, end quote. I mean, yeah, that's exactly how it goes for a lot of people. And if you have a great doctor, thank your lucky stars. But I had a doctor once who I told I was struggling because I was pregnant with Kennedy and I was like nine months pregnant with Kennedy and my mom died unexpectedly. I was in an awful car accident on our way to her funeral and I was pregnant and I had a one-year-old, not even a one-year-old. He wasn't even one yet. And the doctor said, wait for it. He said... I think you can benefit from just taking a nap. I wanted to just punch him in the throat and say, you fucking take a nap. I need some help. I need something to help me. I cannot stop crying and being sad and I am struggling. I need something to like take the edge off because this is not working. So that's the exact opposite approach as what was happening with this chick, which was more, 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 more. Yeah, it's inconsistent. So um, I did eventually get on Zoloft because of another doctor who I just love. I will go to him forever because he listens and he gets it. But he is a unicorn type of doctor because not all of them are like that. But um, I took a poll on Instagram because many of my followers on there are mothers. and mama mystery. Mama mystery. And I wanted to know how many mothers believe that they suffered from postpartum depression but never got diagnosed because... Uh, I guess some people are saying that she was never officially diagnosed with postpartum depression, that she was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. Well, I wanted to know how many mothers believed they suffered from postpartum depression but never got diagnosed. 49% said they suffered from postpartum depression but were never diagnosed. 15% said they were diagnosed and 30, 36% said that they had never experienced postpartum depression. So already you see almost 65% of people, of mothers, struggled with depression after having a baby. 65%. The other 35%, 36% never experienced it. Thank God. But that's a huge number. Mm-hmm. So for anyone arguing that she was never formally diagnosed because the prosecuting attorney said something along those lines, I strongly beg to differ. She was, she was suffering. She knew it. Her family knew it. Her husband knew it. And her doctors knew it. Her coworkers knew it because she had to take a leave from work. The official label means nothing to me, especially when you see it in this poll that nearly half of the voters struggled with it and went undiagnosed. The other half were either diagnosed or never experienced it. That speaks volumes to me. So Judge John Canavan did not set a bail amount but ordered her to stay in the hospital where she's being treated and any medical facility she's transferred to upon her release from the hospital. She'll have to undergo physical therapy, and my understanding is that it will likely be like an inpatient rehabilitation center. After she's released from the rehabilitation center, she'll be subjected to home confinement with GPS monitoring. 
If she pleads not guilty by reason of insanity, the defense will have to show that because of a mental disease or defect, she was unable to understand the wrongfulness or criminality of her conduct, or even if she could understand it, she couldn't conform her conduct, her con- conduct sorry, to the requirements of the law. And I want to point out, I know this word is overused, so some people may forget the literal definition of it, but the word insane actually means, quote, in a state of mind which prevents normal perception, behavior, or social interaction, end quote. Makes sense. Makes sense as to what she was probably experiencing. So I think that's a fitting description for her state of mind that night, even if she wins, You know, even if she's found not guilty by reason of insanity, it's not like she just gets to walk free. She'd probably be sent to a medical facility where she undergoes treatment until it's determined that she's safe to be released. But Andrea Yates, she's had an opportunity. She's she killed five of her kids and in this with similar circumstances. She's um, been eligible for release, but doesn't want to leave because she's terrified. So, you know, whatever. Whatever, you know, some people think that her punishment should be, people who are like, oh, she should just rot in hell, trust me. If the moment she snaps out of this, if she ever does, and she realizes what she's done, she is living in her own personal hell for the rest of her life. I was just going to say that. She's paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Who knows if her husband ends up staying with her? Mm -hmm. She has to live with the guilt of that she murdered her kids. Yeah, and that her kids are gone because of her. And I'm not going to judge, like... I don't know. I don't, I'm definitely not, and I don't think any of us really are qualified to like say, it's interesting, right? Because I mean, obviously she did something horrendous. There's all of these weird circumstances, whether she lives in prison for the rest of her life or whether she lives in freedom for the rest of her life, she's going to be miserable and a prisoner in her own mind. Mm -hmm. And exactly like, I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like in the world we're in, yes, a judge and a jury make the decision, right? Mm-hmm. But like someday, I don't know, who knows what you believe in, right? But, and I'm, I'm preface this with, it's not like I'm the most religious guy in the world ever. I don't go to church every Sunday and I'm not trying to be a Bible thumper here, mm-hmm. but I believe in God. I believe there's a heaven and a hell. I seek, you know, faith and a meaning of life and those questions that probably many of you ask. And so really who gives a shit what you think or what I think or what, the judge and the jury happens to me, she's going to live a pretty miserable existence no matter where it is. Yeah, and in the next, whatever it is after life, like who knows how she'll be judged, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's yeah. pretty deep, but. So this case is actually eerily similar to the case of Deidre Morley out of Dublin, Ireland, exactly three years ago to the very day that Lindsay killed her children, or killed her children. This mother, Deidre, murdered her three kids, Connor, Dara, and Carla. What? They even have the same orders of initials in their name, I noticed. Connor, Dara, Carla, Cora, Dawson, Callan. And then they all were killed on January 24th. This was of 2020, and then Lindsay's was 2023. That kind of blows my mind. But... Deidre was suffering from a severe depression that developed into psychosis, and she believed that she was a bad mother and that she had irreparably damaged her children because of her mental illness. 
So she killed her kids before she tried to take her own life because she believed that they were doomed. But in Deidre's case, she confided in her doctors for two years prior to the murders, never telling her friends or her husband what her feelings were. But she was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and she's in a mental hospital now, Um, a mental treatment facility. Let's be PC. Okay, so I want to end this episode by reading what Lindsay's husband, Patrick Clancy, wrote in a statement. So a GoFundMe was created for Patrick by a family friend. It has now surpassed $1 million in donations. In a post on the page, Patrick wrote the following. Thank you all for your love and support. The warmth I've received from the community is palpable, and your generosity gives me hope that I can focus on some sort of healing. I've seen all of your messages and contributions, including some from people I haven't seen in over a decade and many I've never met. I see and appreciate every one of you. A lot of people have said they can't imagine and they're right. There's absolutely nothing that can prepare you. The shock and pain is excruciating and relentless. I'm constantly reminded of them and with the little sleep I get, I dream about them on repeat. Any parent knows it's impossible to understand how much you will love your kids until you have them. The same goes for understanding the devastation of losing them. Cora, Dawson, and Callan were the essence of my life, and I'm completely lost without them. My family was the best thing that ever happened to me. I took so much pride in being Lindsay's husband and a dad to Cora, Dawson, and Callan. I always reminded myself that each day with them was a new gift. Callan usually woke up first and would rest his head on my shoulder for a few minutes as he adjusted to morning. Dawson typically sang or spoke his thoughts out loud for a while before we would go get him. Cora was a big girl and would simply walk downstairs. I can still vividly picture her coming into the living room each morning with her hair in a mess, smile on her face. We always started our days together reading books, cuddling up on the couch, and playing with magnet tiles. I loved taking them places, whether it was scooting at Chandler Elementary, vacation, skiing, out on the boat, or to Duxbury Beach, one of our favorite places on earth. They gave me purpose, and I never took that for granted. There is now a massive void where that purpose once was. Cora had an infectious laugh and was stunningly beautiful. She was the cautious one, but it was really because she was so caring. She used to say she wanted to be a doctor and a mama when she grew up, and she would practice by giving Callan checkups. If she was leaving the house to go somewhere, she would pick someone to take care of Caroline and Charlotte, her baby dolls. She had all the doll accessories available, so her sitters were well-equipped. Before she turned two, she was already wrapping them in perfect swaddles. We would tell her she's such a good little mama. She loved all babies, both real and pretend. She loved sloths, unicorns, tea parties, going to lunch with Nana and Grandpa, and giving presents to people. She knew everything about princesses, her favorite being Sophia I. She truly loved her brothers and us and said it often in her sweet voice. We did a lot of father-daughter activities together, like skiing and visiting San Francisco or just talking. I loved her, my firstborn, so much. Dawson had beautiful, bold brown eyes that beamed with friendship. He was naturally humorous and generous beyond the norm of a typical toddler, always willing to share his toys with others. For all the love he received, he always gave back more. His best quality was his pure kindness. He loved trucks, tractors, dinosaurs, Paw Patrol, worker guys, and being outside. He was adventurous and mischievous and enjoyed causing trouble, which he typically found hilarious. 
He was also remarkably smart. We always said if we didn't save enough for retirement, it'll be okay. We'll just leave and live in Dawson's guest house. He would hug me tighter than most adults, and every night he told me in consistent words at bedtime without fail, good night, Dada, I love you. We had a special bond from day one. He was my buddy, my first boy, and truly a gift. Callan was our easygoing child. I always said it was because he was the third child. He had to adapt, and he did easily. He was born with hardly any fuss and was by far our best sleeper. He was just an incredibly happy and vibrant baby, constantly smiling. Our nickname for him was Happy Callan. He was sitting on his own, and you could tell he was enjoying his growing independence as he would grab any object within reach. Sometimes he joined my Microsoft calls in the background playing in his jumpy. I would keep my camera on, too proud to leave it off. He started saying Dada whenever I walked in the room. The last moment we had together was our routine. I would come up from my office at the end of the day and swing him between my legs while he laughed and smiled. If I was ever having a bad day, Callan always knew how to heal me. Perhaps that's why he held on a little longer, to spare me whatever pain he could. As excruciating as it was, I was fortunate and grateful to feel his warmth until his very last moment. Faith is my only hope of believing he felt mine. Callan died with enormous courage despite being so little. Maybe it was his way of demonstrating what I need to do to press forward. I'll always try to draw inspiration from him, and he'll always be my little hero. I want to share some thoughts about Lindsay. She's recently been portrayed largely by people who have never met her and never knew who the real Lindsay was. Our marriage was wonderful and diametrically grew stronger as her condition rapidly worsened. I took as much pride in being her husband as I did in being a father and felt persistently lucky to have her in my life. I still remember the very moment I first laid eyes on her and can recall how, ev- how overcome I was with the kind of love at first sight you only see in movies. It really didn't take long before I was certain I wanted to marry her. We said I love you to each other multiple times daily as if it were a reflex. We habitually started every morning with a passionate hug, yielding a sigh of relief like we had just received the perfect medicine. If too much time had passed without a hug, she'd look at me and ask, did you forget? We mutually understood the reality that people can have bad days, but we stuck to the rule that when one of us got lost, the other was always there to bring them home, always. She loved being a nurse, but nothing matched her intense love for our kids and dedication to being a mother. It was all she ever wanted. Her passion taught me how to be a better father. I want to ask all of you that you find it deep within yourselves to forgive Lindsay as I have. The real Lindsay was generously loving and caring towards everyone, me, our kids, family, friends, and her patients. The very fibers of her soul are loving. All I wish for her is that she can somehow find peace. I promise I'll put all my energy into healing and rediscovering my purpose. I owe that to all of you, Duxbury Fire and Police, our compassionate healthcare workers, our local faith leaders, the Microsoft community, and especially Cora, Dawson, and Callan. I don't know how or when I'll be able to do it, but your love and generosity will help get, help get me started. I know that love always wins. Cora, Dawson, and Callan, you gave me so much in your short time here. 
I don't know if the pain will ever go away, but I'll do my best to carry on in your honor. Dada loves you so much and will always remember you with love and endless gratitude. End quote. Man, that was well written mm-hmm. and heartbreaking. Yeah. Props to that dude. I can't imagine. I mean, like you said, obviously nobody can imagine. Um, when was when did this happen? January twenty fourth. Man, so like two weeks and, ago. Yeah, and he's and he's already like he says, I I forgive her, and I mean, it, it's just it speaks volumes of what he says about her, in my opinion. Absolutely. I agree. And to know that, you know, he speaks highly of her and who she really is, you know, despite this illness that has kind of destroyed her, not kind of, it has destroyed her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, her friends, coworkers that have worked with her, who know her have all come out and, um, expressed how great of a person she was before this happened. Like, this is not Lindsay. This is obviously, something chemically wrong in her brain. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we talk about, you know, we have a true crime podcast. We talk about bad people. We talk about psychopaths, like we described earlier. I don't think that she was a psychopath. I don't think that she planned this. I believe firmly in my gut, based especially on the character witnesses that she has, her husband, her friends, her family, that this was a horrible thing <clears throat> caused by mental illness. Yeah. Man. And it's awful and it's sad. And the ultimate victims here are those three kids. But I think that it's important to have compassion for somebody who deep in their heart never would have done this if she wasn't sick. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah. I do. I, I do believe that also. Well, is that it? That's it. Well, in the episode by saying you're a fantastic mother. Oh, thank you. And you know, I, I just want moms to feel like they aren't alone. For sure. And on a positive note, I'm going to go make some crappie tacos. <laughs> and I love you. Mama, I love mystery, you. out. <laughs>